What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. The music world moves fast. Want to stay up to date on the latest albums and get in-depth examinations with the artists? Check out Consequence of Sound, the podcast. Bite-sized album reviews for the music fan on the go who wants to stay in the know and much more. Subscribe to the series on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider and let the writers of Consequence of Sound steer you right. Check it out at consequenceofsound.net slash podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Take a moment before we get started to uh, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now. Whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, Podchaser, wherever you're listening from, uh, go ahead and hit subscribe. We release interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and would love to keep you up to date on, uh, on all of those. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest is Bob Hardy of the band Franz Ferdinand. He and I are going to jump in the time machine just 10 years ago, 2009, for Franz Ferdinand's third album tonight, Franz Ferdinand. It was a bit more of a dancey record than what they had came from, and Bob Hardy being the bass player, that sort of puts him front and center for a record like this. So we're going to talk about all of that, what was going on with the band, how they arrived at the sound that they did for this one. 
and a few of the songs as well. There's also an interesting thread about how this record ties to their latest one, Always Ascending, it being a much more dancey record as well. We'll also get a tiny update on what might come next for Franz Ferdinand. It's a fun one as we celebrate the 10th anniversary of tonight's Franz Ferdinand with Bob Hardy. It's Kyle Meredith with Franz Ferdinand. Hi, Kyle. It's Bob speaking. So we're going to be heading back a decade. Uh, a lot of times we head back a little bit further, but it just so happens that uh, uh, one of Franz Ferdinand's best records, and I'm going to even say arguably maybe your crowning achievement so far, <laughs> Tonight, oh, wow. Fran- Franz Ferdinand, yeah, the Tonight record, uh, hit 10 years old this year. And, uh, and it still stands up, man. What a spectacular uh, album. 10 years ago, what's, what's, what's still your, uh, your thoughts on this record? Well, I haven't listened to it probably since it came out, or since we mixed it, I think, I think until this morning. So um, I put it on and had a, a listen. I quite liked it. I quite enjoyed it. I forgot on the running order. So it was kind of everything it was a bit of a surprise when it came, and, and uh, it was quite an enjoyable experience. It's, it's funny how artists do that. I mean, here's something that, you know, you take all the time to create, and then, of course, you end up playing it, you know, live all the time. So there's not a lot of reason to go back into it. But, you know, as for a piece of art, it's just something that kind of happens in a studio at some point and then is, and then is left behind yeah. in the past in a way. Well, the songs stay with you, as you say, because we play them live a lot. And from that record, there's probably, you know, four or five maybe that we play live uh, quite regularly. So they're still with you. But the actual recordings, yeah, something that you don't, especially if they're not singles, so you don't accidentally hear them places, you know, they don't accidentally hear them on the radio or whatever. Then yeah, you don't often uh, you often forget exactly what they sound like. But yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed the experience. And, and worth pointing out there too. I mean, this is a record, and and, and one of the reasons why I like it so much. It's a record that goes so far beyond the singles, and you know, and I'd like to ask about a few of those a, a little bit later on too. And, and uh, but I'll point out like like bite hard still is so much fun to listen to, and and what she came for. You know, there's a few laughs in that song. Beyond the singles, what's the ones that stand out for you, if any? I think Twilight Omens is something that I really enjoyed at the time and we played it live um, I guess with the album tour but then we kind of put it to bed but recently uh, this year we started playing it again because it was just so something that a lot of fans would ask for and um, and going back to listen to that song now I, you know, I, I really enjoyed playing it on stage and I enjoyed the recording of it as well but also By Heart too I've forgotten about I kind of forgotten about By Heart we haven't played it for so long and um, I really enjoyed it yeah it was, it was a nice surprise I forgot when it was on the record to be honest it just kind of came on and then <laughs> Yeah, it was, I hadn't I hadn't scanned the uh, the track listing before I played it, so I just kind of experienced as it happened. Well, talking about pulling you know that song up for for this tour and everything, I, I think that's what caught me too. Is because there was something about this record, you know, as as we look back as as the critical as it's painted critically anyway, you know, this was a bit more of a dance record than the post-punk angular sound that Franz Ferdinand might have been known for to begin with, which is an interesting thread to what you guys had been doing with Always Ascending and the new record, you know, as, as if you want to throw in the word dance and, and to some point even, you know, uh, indie disco or, or whatever genre you slap on that. But it, it feels like there is sort of a bridge between yeah. what you all started there and what you're doing now. I don't know if that's a, has that occurred? I think that's I think that's true. I think there's definitely a connection between tonight and always ascending as albums. And that, that was I mean I think I had heard some fans kind of mention that when always ascending came out and they first heard it. And I think we, we were we were in a similar position writing wise. We were kind of we based ourselves in one place to write the record with a lot of synthesizers, and that's just kind of and then it ended up being a more electronic record. Uh, the same thing happened with always ascending. 
I think this time around, with it always ascending, I think perhaps we got to grips with more of the technology, so it kind of went more in that direction. But, uh, and then, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, really tonight. It was a, a lot of vintage synthesizers that we were, Alex and Nick were kind of getting together at the time, and a lot of them were kind of in and out, were working, they weren't working, they were kind of like, you know, a little bit um, sort of like flying by the CV pants with some of them. So, yeah, we, I think we got to grips with a bit more on tonight. But, yeah, I mean, on all the sending things. Uh, but, yeah, there's def- I think there's definitely a connection between the records, yeah. Now, do you remember, like, when when you might have heard those songs, you know, for the first time in, in the, you know, probably a very rough state, did you know at that point that it was going to be that kind of a record, that it was going to be more dancey than what you all had uh, come from previously? I, 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 I just, no, not necessarily, because we were, we were kind of writing, uh, sort of started the writing process in Nick's flat in Glasgow, and there was just, like, a piano and acoustic guitars. Uh, so a lot of the songs started like that it was it was kind of when we started when we met Dan Carey and started working with him in the studio that we put together to make the record in that that, that kind of seemed to be more the direction that things were going to take I think the thing with Fantasia songs is that we always kind of try to write them as you know songs that, that then you can approach and play them in many different ways to just kind of like take them in different directions so the, the, often the songs will come and they will be have the ability to be played on an acoustic guitar or a piano or whatever and to stand up for songs before we then kind of arrange them for the band and then they take on the flavour of whatever, you know, we're feeling at that time. Which actually, on this record, um, the last, on tonight, the last song, which is Catherine Kiss Me, mm-hmm. which is the acoustic version of No You Girls, which is, uh, the, it was a single on the record. But that, so that, that was, the, I think Catherine Kiss Me, I think it was just Alex playing acoustic on it, but that, that's probably how the song was written. And then when it came to the band, it became No You Girls, you know. With that sound, I mean, with, with this type of sound specifically, too, you know, the bass generally, historically, in, other, in any other band, that, that it takes more of a spotlighted position. So, and, and I hear you a lot on this record. Did that just, you know, when, when you're starting to make those dance songs like that, is it like, okay, Bob, you're front and center, time to, time yeah, to prove mean, it? That, yeah, I mean, you know, we're... We're all we're that, the four of us in the band at that point. We're all bass players, you know. Like Nick Nick studied bass. Uh, Alex had been bass players in, in a band before, but bass is Paul's first instrument, so it's something that we all enjoy and kind of and put weight on, I guess, and significance in 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 the writing process. It's kind of like what the bass is doing. Whereas I think I think in some people's minds and even in some musicians' minds, you know, I've met I've met bass players in bands who who dismiss <laughs> the bass, you know, um, and uh, and it's, it's not something that we do as a group. You know, it's something that we all kind of uh, enjoy. You know, the, the feel of that song with a with a good baseline that's kind of open up front and center. Um, yeah, so I guess it's that whole kind of thing of like when we first came around and we were we were trying to make you know that famous line about making music, music girls dance to. So you know, leaning on the kind of the dynamics of dance music. That, um, that's you know, that's like the bass is kind of key to that, along with you know the the beat. It's a, it's kind of because that's really the first thing, other than a, a slight drum beat. You know, once you go into Ulysses, the bass is basically the first thing that you hear on, on that record. And, and yeah, I, I enjoyed that actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I was listening back, yeah, it was great because we play, we still play Ulysses a lot. Um, so hearing the recorded version uh, was was quite strange. It's quite, it has kind of subtly shifted over the last decade as a live song. Yeah. Um, the, the feel of it slightly, but um, it was quite weird going back and hearing it the recorded version. Now, for a lot of bands, that third record is is sort of a make or break record. I mean, you all had come out roaring so hard with your debut, and and followed it with great success for that that second record as well. And then, and then it sort of felt like an eternity 
you know, but between the second record and this third record right here, and 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 we've heard a little bit why about you know starting the record and and having to stop and restart and everything again, but. But I don't know. Do you remember if there was any pressure? Like, okay, third record. Now we can, you know, if, if this works, we're written into the the classics. I guess. I uh, maybe there was never anything voiced by us um, along those lines. It was it was it was, it was, a, it was a confluence of a, 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 a few things really. I think part of it was the first two records came so close together that we never we were all for like from mid two thousand and three to the end of 2006, which is like three and a half years, we were, uh, is that right? Yeah, three, is that three yeah. years? Well, we were either in a studio or on the road. So we hadn't had a, we hadn't had a break from being in France Ferdinand or, you know, or like had any kind of normality in our lives. And suddenly we kind of kicked out the back of the second album tour. And, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of like wild, really. It's like suddenly you're kind of like thrown out of this machine that you've been in for the last three and a half years. And I think we all kind of enjoyed that for a little bit of time and kind of I like had a bit of space, which is probably essential, which is which then that break led on to the record, the third record taking a bit longer than anticipated. Alex went away and we produced a record with the Cribs as well uh, during that gap. Also, we, we, we got our, we decided to record uh, in our own studio. We, we created a studio, a temporary studio in, in a space in Glasgow uh, to record, to write and record in. And that, that, that was quite ambitious, I think. I don't think we quite realised how ambitious it was at the time, and uh, and that can really eat up time. Going through the treating of the room and all that kind of stuff, that we we came upon as temporary measures, you know, soundproofing and bringing a desk and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I think that we were actually we thought we were making life easy for ourselves, but in actual fact, we may have been making life more difficult. <laughs> I've heard that story a few times by other artists as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's always a good idea. But that's it's also sort of became the mo of the band from then on. I mean, Franz Ferdinand has never been the the two year cycle band since then you know and it feels like maybe that's that's been helpful to the longevity uh, of the group yeah possibly we, we just come off a 20 month tour so yeah it's, it's uh, when is the last you know we will start working again on music quite soon but um i'm not you know i can't, I can't say when the next album will be out but um I mean, possibly yes that's possible i think there's something about you know touring doing a world tour with a record that is quite it's quite draining and um yeah, I think that we we sometimes enjoy the gaps <laughs> between the touring, you know. And it, it, it's a completely different vibe, you know. Like, so many different aspects of being in a band. And um, when you're on the road and you're touring, you kind of, after a few months, you kind of wistful for, the, oh, I don't know, I'm just used to meet up and go to the studio and kind of make recordings. Wasn't that great? And then you go to the studio and after a few months, and you're like, oh, I wasn't there we used to play shows every night? Wasn't that fun? <laughs> and it's kind of, yeah, it's like, the grass is always greener, you know. So, um, yeah, it's difficult to say. Uh, I should also bring up uh, 2009, uh, you know, uh, Tonight Wasn't the Only Record. There was a remix record in there as well that came a few months afterwards with uh, with Blood, uh, the remix record. Yeah. Uh, and, and the time-honored tradition of, of the remix album, which was, again, to put it on a full disc, I guess, was, was something uh, that was happening a lot, but it was still sort of new for you guys or something. I, I don't know. Was there a story about what put you guys there? You know, for sometimes it's just a stopgap for bands, too. Yeah, well, Dan Carey, who produced the record, he um, was well into kind of like making dub mixes, uh, and that, that's kind of, that was kind of his background. He came up in that kind of scene in London, and then because we had this studio of our own uh, in Glasgow, at the end of the night, you know, Dan was staying up in Glasgow. He lived in London. He was coming up every week to stay in Glasgow. Didn't have a home to go. Didn't have anywhere to go that was his home. He didn't have to go with his wife, and kids, or whatever. So 
so we just end up staying at the studio with like you know a few drinks and kind of he would bring up the mixes on the board and just for fun we were, he was making these dub mixes just like you know ha- you know having a drink and messing around it being really fun and um we wanted to him to do the whole radio after a while i was like this you know, need to make these into an actual release people can hear because it was so much fun so yeah he worked on on turning i don't, I don't know how many songs it 10 songs maybe on blood but like, most of the songs ended up with like having a dub remix by, by dan which was brilliant it was for a long time it was um it was my favorite way to listen to the records because it was kind of you know you're not you're not hung up on uh on your performance or like you know you're not thinking about like you know, oh, well, maybe, you know the structure of the song could have been different or whatever it's more kind of like you know completely different world and it's quite you know it's an enjoyable way i think for a musician to listen to their own music is through a remix for that reason there's a there's a song yeah. deep deep on the record on tonight uh, which i guess was technically sort of the first single talking about lucid dreams and it seems like the album version because i knew there was a, a different version that kind of preceded yeah. it too but that album version with it stretches out and and goes into this it's a bit of a trance state and i thought oh that's that's a really interesting way to make it to the remix record you know if you if you kind of leap off yeah from there yeah, no, totally. Yeah, well, that was the kind of vibe that we had in the studio. You know, it was, it was, it felt quite loose. And like uh, the way that Dan Dan worked, he's very, he was very kind of like, you know, we'll try anything, you know, and and just like pushing ideas. And uh, yeah, that kind of made on for Lucid Dreams. We we we, we I can't remember if it, was, if it was a total re-record or just a remix of the, the other version we did. But yeah, we we made very early on in the process when we was, when we just started writing, we we, we wrote this song because it was a computer game um, in the states. I think it was John Madden football. Mm-hmm. We're, we're looking for looking for a song, so we kind of we we finished Lucid Dreams and, and it ended up being on the soundtrack to this video game. Uh, and then when it came out to putting it on the record. We just didn't want to give people the same thing twice, so we kind of reworked it. We've got talking about that reminds me of uh, some of the things we did that didn't get on the record that I haven't thought about for a long time, which was uh, there's a huge hall next to the studio. It was like in an old town hall, so there's like a, a theatre section to it. And um, I remember one day we quite like the engineer was climbing the rafters, and we were hung a um, microphone from uh, the ceiling and we're swinging it past this amp while Alex was playing guitar. And does it end, I can't remember if it ended up on a song or not. No. But yeah, it just, it just came back to me thinking about the time in the studio. That's always, that's always the interesting question for a fan too. I mean, uh, the, the songs that didn't make it, you know, for any album. You know, a lot of bands do the anniversary editions or whatever. And I, I don't know, is that, is that anything you all ever talk about to put out some of, those, uh, some of the vault stuff? No, we had there's probably two or three songs from each record I reckon that didn't make it and haven't seen the light of day. Often, or certainly in the past, when singles were a thing, um, you know, we would make them into B sides and what have you. But um, there's certainly there are some songs. I think there were some songs in those B sides actually for most sessions, but I'd have to go back and look at what they were because it's been a while. But yeah, there were always things bubbling under, and often there'll be things that weren't aren't fully realised. Um, and don't get finished to the level that we were happy with that we then due to time constraints will sort of put on a back burner and occasionally they will they will like we'll bring them out for the following record and kind of rework them or finish them or, or try and work out what it was we didn't like about them and, and try and fix it but yeah yeah it's it's it's, uh, it's kind of a fluid thing sometimes between between records and things often bubbling away in in the into in the space between them you know while we're on tour or whatever so i think you've already answered the question earlier but uh but as you said is you wrap up always ascending and, and everything that goes along with that i mean it sounds like you guys are still pretty excited to get back in and start working on whatever you know comes next yeah, no, we, I mean, we just, we just toured there for quite a substantial amount of time, like 20 months, pretty much. 
and I feel remarkably human for having, you know, just completed that. I think, but I mean, this is, this is, that was, it was probably the most enjoyable period of touring I've had, we've had for a long time. And yeah, it's, it's not, it's not put me off. <laughs> the idea of getting, a, you know, getting back on a bus doesn't seem that daunting idea right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Bob, I really appreciate it. Again, uh, I mean, tonight uh, to me is one of the best things that, uh, and 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 I, I will also say I'm still a fan of everything you all have done. You know, always ascending is a great record as well. But when we're talking about those perfect little moments, I feel like you know everything just came together so nicely on that record. And uh, and happy tenth anniversary to it. You know, on top of that, thanks very much. Cheers, yeah. yeah. It was a pleasure yeah. talking to you, and uh, and we'll see you next time, whenever that might be. Great. Cheers, Carl. Nice to talk to you. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. A big old thanks to Bob Hardy talking about the 10th anniversary of tonight's Franz Ferdinand. And again, their latest record, Always Ascending, is currently out as well. Now, last year, I talked with Alex from Franz Ferdinand when their new record, Always Ascending, had just arrived. So I thought for fun, I'd include that one as well. A little bonus interview right here. Kyle Meredith with part two of Franz Ferdinand. Hey, Kyle. Hi, Alex. How are you? Yeah, really good. How are you? I'm well. It's a pleasure to talk to you, uh, especially when you've got such a cool new record out. Congratulations, oh. man. Oh, cheers, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Well, almost out anyway. Soon. Yeah, it's really soon. 9th of February. That's Oh, my God. Less than a month. That's so exciting. <laughs> Big celebration planned? You guys going to do anything with this one? Yeah. You know, I don't know where I'm going to be on the actual day of release. Oh, I know. I'm in the UK. But we're doing two gigs in the UK that day. Um, I Yes, yeah, so there'll be some... Oh, except no. Like, every year, I... Uh, Stopped drinking from uh, January the 1st until my birthday, which is March 20th. So it'll be a very sober celebration for me. <laughs> it's possible. You, you, you can do it. I've heard it's been it, done before anyway. I, I, I will seek advice from somebody who knows how to do such a thing. <laughs> I, uh, my, my whole game is um, like a double shot of espresso right before, and then you just carry around a really hot tea so you have something to sip on the entire time. It's just, you know, it's that drink in hand mentality. Right, that's good. You, you know, I, I'm totally addicted to tea now. Like over the last few, I stopped drinking coffee a few years ago as well. And I've got really into like tea and, and I probably drink like five times the amount of caffeine that I ever did when I drank coffee, but I just do it via, <laughs> via Chinese teas instead. Chinese and Japanese tea is so good. My God. I agree with you. And and there's something healthy about that, even if the caffeine's there. There's something hey, healthy about that. I, 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 I'm going to try and convince myself that as well. I, I'm with you. <laughs> well, let's talk about Always Ascending. Is it fair to say this this uh, this album starts, and and I suppose this interview starts, with talking about Nick leaving the band? Yeah, I, I guess kind of in a way. You see, we actually knew Nick was going to leave the band a long time, at least about a year before we actually started making this record. Mm -hmm. And even though we announced it just a, a year ago, we, we, we knew before we even toured any of the FFS stuff that he was going to leave. And uh, we'd known for a while it was going to happen. He was not happy leaving his kids at home and that sort of stuff. So by the time I actually came to the record, it was kind of old news. It was accepted and we knew that we were starting new. But the situation was different. We were in a different place. Uh, it was just the three of us. Uh, it was me and it was Bob and it was Paul. And um, yeah, we um, knew that we had the opportunity to do something maybe a little bit different from what we'd done before. Does that put extra importance on the record when you know like, okay, this could be a completely different sort of a relaunch as I've seen it written, uh, especially in the press release? Yeah, it, it's it was quite liberating, you know, because... I loved that decade that we were in a band together and, and, and we did some great stuff and had some great times. But when you have such a, a, a major change in the band, it, you, you do feel that, well, 
we don't have to repeat the patterns that we've we've worked in before and we, we can try different things and and when you bring new people into your band as well of course that changes the dynamic and allows you to explore areas that you maybe hadn't before now so what was different about the writing sessions sort of with, with all of that in mind like how did it really change for you guys if at all because I don't know. The other side of that coin is ultimately you still have, you know, three of those people that you've written with all of this time. Sure. And I, I think because the, the flip that balances out the yin to the yang of, uh, of wanting to search for something new is, well, you have to hang on to your identity, not hang on to it. You, you have to be uh, accepting of your identity and not try to forcibly change it. And I, I'd love if the idea that if when people listen to this record within seconds, they know it's a Franz Ferdinand record, but they think, all oh, right, OK, that's Franz Ferdinand, but they're doing something I've not heard them do before. I mean, that, that's, that's really what the goal is. And how we did it, I guess it's instinctive. If you feel that you're doing something that you've done before, you kind of, ah, you find it boring. So you, you don't do that. And you push yourself to try things that you haven't done before. Like, like the, we wrote songs from the, rather than about personal experience or observed experience of friends or people in your lives, we wrote songs about fictional characters, which we've never done before. Um, played with time signatures in a way we hadn't, scales and modes, that kind of thing that we hadn't before. Uh, some of the subject matter is different. I don't know, some of the sounds as well. And with any piece of work, no matter what your medium is, it's to, to make something that is, is different, it's, it's usually not one huge decision that you make. It's a lot of tiny decisions that are informed along the way that, that, that make slight different changes to, to create a, a different whole. With the music, you know, it being, as it's saying, a more disco sound, a more dancey sound, did you specifically seek out that type of producer or did the choice of producer drive that sound? We, we sought out fully because of the sound that was developing on the record. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because it, it is a dance floor record, but then when we formed as a band, we wanted to play dance music as a, a raw rock and roll band. And I guess right. that's what we're doing. It, it's, we're just doing it in a different way from how we did it in the first place. Um, I first spoke to Philippe, uh, Philippe Sadar, who, who produced this record about five years ago. And it was supposed to be just a quick chat, but we ended up on the phone for an hour and a half or something. And you know when you speak to somebody, you feel you've got a really good connection with them and you've, you, you've got a lot in common and you, you see things and you, you appreciate things with a, from a common ground. And um, I, I love the sound of his records. It's the stuff that he did with his own band, Cassius, to to Phoenix and uh, the Beastie Boys, I, all, all, everything he touches, it retains the character of the artist, but it pushes them into a new place, and that's you know that's the holy grail for a producer. And uh, Philippe comes from that that school of French house. As a DJ as well, his perspective is maybe a little different from a regular producer. And what I do love about him is, unlike a lot of guys that work in dance music, he and not just dance music, but regular producers, he is not chained to the grid. Like so many producers program everything so every beat is perfectly in time so that the, the tempo is constant and there is no shift. And if there's any shift within the band's playing, then it's corrected by the engineer. The engineer goes in their mouse and the equivalent of Photoshop for the years, everything is corrected, made perfect. He's the opposite of that. He likes, he loves the shift and the movement that you get from a raw band playing together in a room. And I guess we really bonded about that, making the record. The idea that you could search for the sound of the future, but still keep it sounding like, like people playing live together in 
in a right. room. Because yeah. that's where the magic is. You know, that that's where the real magic is. I, got, I remember hearing him, especially on the last Cassius record, where he had uh, Cat Power and was it Ad-Rock who was on there and everything? That's just, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the Cat Power record he made is amazing as well. That's really cool. There's something I, – I was curious, though. There was something about uh, Greek folk albums that also – I don't know, sort of led you to this? Is yeah, that right? yeah. You, you know, when, when I first started working on songs for this record, my, well, my father's Greek, and uh-huh. um, he, he's a part of this club or this, this group in Glasgow called the Hellenic Society. It's, it's a, a group that celebrates Greek culture in, in, in many different ways, and he, he asked me to come in, or the society asked me to come in and give a talk on Greek music, and I've been listening to Greek music all my life, and I went through my records and my CDs, and I, and I made a collection of stuff that I wanted to talk about, and uh, one of them was this this record by uh, Yanis Markopoulos, and it was uh, a record that he made in 1972. It was his interpretations of the, these old Cretan songs that, that were written, uh, sort of like Cretan dance songs and these songs are thousands of years old and he kind of you know interpreted them in a different way in a a way that was contemporary in 1972 and I went back and listened to this record again and it it, it had a very powerful impact on on me in two ways like one I I was listening to it as as a musician now and I was thinking damn this music does exactly what dance music does now. It's it, the, if you look at the dynamics of it, the fact that it's it's written about uh, around one chord. There's no progression. It, it sort of stays in the same way. It brings in motifs, refrains that kind of appear, then disappear, and builds up. And you have the crescendos and the drops. You know, you, you have the drops that you have in dance music today, and they were doing it thousands of years ago. And it, 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 it had such a big impact on me when I was listening. I thought, like, my God, human beings have been searching for this thing for thousands of years. And over those thousands of years, we've just found ways of doing it slightly differently for every generation to satisfy that urge that we have to receive the the, the joy and the highs that we get from from dance music. And it gave me strength. It gave me sucker because I realized that, well, that's what I'm doing. It's the same thing. It's the same human desire that, that I'm I have the desire to satisfy myself and we're just going to do it in a slightly different way as we've been doing for thousands of years. But also there was a really beautiful thing about listening to it as well because I realized it was the first music that I could ever remember listening to. Um, my first experience of music, like, I remember my dad playing the record when I was about two years old and him putting me on his shoulders and spinning me around the room and I, I can still see it so vividly, the room spinning around and around and it's, it was the first time I was aware of that elevated state that you get into when you listen to music, and particularly that kind of mesmeric music like that, where your state of resting compared to your state of listening to that music is completely different from each other. And, you know, again, that's what I've been searching for for the, the rest of my life, that, that, that state. Well, I, I want to talk about some of the themes on this, too, because... Um... That's the other interesting part about this record is is as you were talking about, you know, these characters and, and the stories outside of yourself, uh, of course, it all seems to relate in the big picture, I think, that we're all looking at, or at least as a listener, that's how I'm relating to it myself. Because, you know, I look at uh, even just the title, you went with Lois Lane, which is interesting today because it's not Superman. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's the star. I mean, she is the star. I mean, let, let's face it, Superman's a total drip. Yeah, he can shoot lasers out of his eyes and fly and pick up cars and all that kind of stuff. But I always find him a bit boring. Like, like you know, you know, like he's the antithesis of, of, of our perception of a, of a superhero. Like, Superman is really Clark Kent. Let's face it. Like, like, like he's, he's, you know, he's... 
just a bit useless with all those superpowers. But she, on the other hand, is incredible. I remember seeing that film when I was a kid. Like, like I've seen that film. And she was the character that really mesmerized me. She was the one that, that drew me in. And she's the star. My God, she is totally the star of that, that duo. But the song, the, so- the song's not really about Lois Lane. The song's about two characters, these two fictional characters that, that Bob and I invented. And the, the female protagonist, she, she sees Lois Lane as an inspiration because... She believes that journalism could change the world. And Lois Lane is a pretty strong woman, and she wanted to be a strong woman that could change the world. And whereas the guy, he's a, I don't know, he's a, not a drip, but he's a pessimist and a cynic. He, he sees altruism as being motivated by selfishness, that the only reason that you help somebody else is because you're searching for the, uh, the you, you desire the reward of feeling good about yourself. And it's kind of cool creating these fictional characters because you get involved with them and you wonder how they're going to interact with each other. And it was cool to create these backstories and, and see where they, where they end up. It is a cool way to, it does relate to the big pictures going on out there with having, without having to insert yourself in it. Like, oh, this is how I feel about politics right now. This is how I feel about this. It, it sort of you know, puts it in the way that someone, you could see it on TV in the exact same way, you know, the, the way the movies do. It's a, it's, it, it's a cool way of writing the song. I, I, I do really believe that like, some of the, the, the greatest truths that we, that we learn like, like the, of, of the human condition are, are not through uh, the confessional or for me telling you a, an autobiographical story, but through what we learn through fictional characters. The characters that we create reflect the the world around us in a, in a, in a truer way and you, and you find that in all in all art forms whether it's literature or or film or or poetry or even music you yeah well i hate to ask you to pull the curtain back anymore on something like that but two other characters of course that stand out is huck and jim right who you know have their own long history uh, in literature but also uh, again in this relation with uh, politics especially uh, as they are american literature and american politics today they really do they really do because well, when I was writing that song, we, we, we had the music for the chorus first. And, and uh, I came up with the line, we're going to America first, because the song sounded American. Just the way we were playing it, it sounded way more American than anything we did. And I was kind of laughing at first. Kind of, it sounds ridiculously American. You know, like, we're, we're not American. It's just, <laughs> we're going to America. And, and I was kind of joking. Then I thought, well, what, what, would I, what would I talk about if I was going to America? And I, I, I said, I'd want to talk about the NHS. And because I do, I, I talk to all my American friends about the NHS because it's, it's, it's in the news. It's, it's what we're talking about now. And we talk about it in the UK because we have this health service, but we have a government that is trying to sell it off with, without letting the public know about it. They're trying to do it surreptitiously. And in America, you had the Affordable Care Act, and it felt that you were moving towards, I don't know, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but this is, for me, a a measure of civilization is the fact that it is looking after your weak, looking after your society's sick, and educating everybody. I mean, it just seems like a really obvious thing. You you know, human compassion, you care for the sick around about you. And and I I feel it's a a responsibility for all of us. It's something that everybody deserves, no matter what their financial circumstances are. If you don't have a fat wallet, you don't deserve to die. If we have the technology to save people, we should be saving people. To me, that's a, a basic and essential truth. And yeah, when I come to America, that, that's what my American friends want to talk about. And it's what we're talking about in the UK at the moment. So anyway, that, that, that's, that's what the song started talking about. So I, I, I was talking about going to America, going to talk about the NHS. Uh, we'll all hang out um, and sip 40s. And who are we going to do it with? And I wanted to pick the archetypal American figure. I wanted to find a, a character from 
American history. No, not American history. From American literature, from American film. I don't know. No, literature. Like, who's the greatest figure that represents America for me? And again, I went back to my father. And uh, my first experience of American literature was my, my father, my dad, reading me Mark Twain when I was a boy and, and reading me Tom Sawyer, which I kind of enjoyed, but particularly Huckleberry Finn. I loved that book when I was a kid. I loved that book when I was a kid. And so Huck Finn popped into my mind. And as soon as, I, as, as Huck Finn popped into my mind, I remember that Huck Finn is not a book. He's not the lead character. There are two lead characters in that book. It's Huck, it's Huck and Jim. There's the two characters in that book. And when they popped into my head, they, they were there in the way that I experienced them as a kid, the, the naive uh, understanding that you have as a I don't know, boy of five or six or whatever when I first heard those stories. And I had just two, two guys on an adventure on a raft on the Mississippi dealing with the situations they ended up with, dealing with the, the bandits and the characters that crossed their path. And then I started thinking about it as as an adult in the year 2017 when, when it was written. And uh, it seemed incredibly poignant and, and so reflective of the current situation that we have, not just in America, but in any post-colonial society. And, you know, Huck, Huck was a 14-year-old boy running away from his alcoholic father that wanted to kill him to get his money. And Jim is, well, he, he's the runaway slave. You know, he, he, was, he was being sold by his mistress, his supposedly benevolent mistress, to... She was going to sell him literally down the river. Right. The expression is, you know, and uh, it, it was kind of chilling when I remembered that. And, and and you do have those moments in your life, you know, when you remember those sort of landmark experiences from your childhood, and and, and you realize that when you put them into the context of your adult understanding, there's there's so much more depth and well darker depth to them as well. And and they they say so much to us now about uh, about this, the the age we live in now. It's funny, and, and I went back and I read it again after, after I wrote the song. I, I read the book after having not read it for thirty odd years or whatever, possibly more. And it's it's a very difficult read. It's 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 a really painful read because of the language mm -hmm. and 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 the use of the terminology and and the way. But as well, I, I think in that in that context, there's a lot of compassion in there as well. And he he really does portray some of the the iniquities of of, of that age quite beautifully. But a, 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 you know, a flawed era, a horrendously flawed era that gives us the clues to our contemporary flawed era. I, I think it's hard for us sometimes uh, in, in the United States uh, for us to get a sense of how something like even like the election, but but like all of these things that are happening around here uh, affect folks outside of the country. It's, it's not just happening in America. We, we have a, a similar situation in the UK and across Europe as well. Um, it, it, it's it's. <laughs> It's depressingly retrogressive. You know, it, it feels like for the first time in my life that the, the attitudes have gone into reverse and, and there's a, a petty small-mindedness which seems to be flourishing. I'd like to think temporarily. I, I, you know, I, I, I sincerely hope it's temporarily. And I don't know, the optimist within me presumes it's temporarily, but you can't presume. You've got to, you've, you've got to make sure that it is temporarily. I mean, you know, in, in, the, in the UK, there's, I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to even begin listing the problems, but we, we do have uh, the, the whole issues that was brought up with Brexit and um, a, a small-minded xenophobia, which I, I thought would have disappeared by the time I got to this age and, and this, this year, uh, which is returned. Right. So it's not just America. Don't worry. Like, <laughs> well, I, you're I, not alone. <laughs> yeah. I, I said it, it is interesting in the worst way that, you know, when you go all the way back to Franz Ferdinand and in the context of these days and how it seems like something that could happen. And I talk about Franz Ferdinand, of course, the historical character 
Sure. And uh, and all it took was one little weird mishap, and suddenly <laughs> you're in a world war. <laughs> well, that's terrifying, isn't it? Like, like it is. the, it's terrifying. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it was particularly terrifying. Is is you know like obviously like like um, the, the the death of the original Franz Ferdinand. It, it, it was the pivotal point on which everything turned. That the 20th century began there. But the reason that his assassination kicked off the war. It was not because he was shot. Right. It was because there'd been years of saber rattling. There had been years of countries threatening each other with war, countries building up their arsenals, countries talking about how they were going to destroy each other. Fire and fury, I believe. Is Fire and getting fury. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and oh my God, like, can we not learn from history? Can we not like stop this shit repeating itself? We need to look back and we need to... We need to learn from what's happened before. Yeah, well, I think what you're doing is very positive within the record, the the context that you made it in. Beyond that, I, I don't want to get away with just how fun it is to listen to this record. It is so much fun. And for what you guys set out to do, you knocked it out of the park. You really did. Oh, man, I appreciate that. I, re I really appreciate that. It was a really fun record to make, and, and I, we had such a blast making it. And I, I always feel if you, if you enjoy making something, the chances are people are going to enjoy listening to it in the long run as well. Yeah, well, I've loved it. Uh, Alex, thank you so much uh, for talking to me today, and the conversation was great. And uh, I look forward to seeing how a sober release party looks like for us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. There are going to be pints and pints of tea. <laughs> right. All right, buddy. Okay. Take All care. All the best. Take it easy. Cheerio. Bye. Bye. It's an early 2018 interview with Alex from Franz Ferdinand talking about their new record, Always Ascending. And a big old thanks again to Bob Hardy talking about the, the 10th anniversary of tonight's Franz Ferdinand. That was a whole lot of fun to jump back in time for. And hey, if you haven't already, please, please, please do hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now, whether that's uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, Podchaser, really wherever you're listening from, there is a subscribe button in front of you in one form or the other. After that, uh, head over to WFPK.org. WFPK is the station I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern. We also got some bonus episodes of this series over there. Lots of great music as well. Get your music and film news at Consequence of Sounds. You can find me at Twitter at Kyle Meredith, Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition today. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.